hiking feature with Tim Lundy. Cape Talk, hiking with Tim Lundy. And now we talk about hiking, Tim. Yeah, lighthearted. <laughs> Shame, can, it's a terrible story. It, it but, is. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very touching story, but at the same time, uh, we can be light and shade on the show. We can talk about yeah. serious. We can talk about fun. We can do everything on the show. You here to give us our weekly hiking uh, recap. If you have any questions for Tim on suggestions for some hiking trails, some equipment you want to buy, or just things you want to do on the outdoors, give us a call, 021-446-0567, or send us a message, 072-567-1567. Before we get into our weekly rescue and safety recap, you were involved in a, in a massive training exercise, I you was. know, with all these units of emergency services and, uh, um, what's that, um, mountain uh, fire and rescue and all those guys. Yeah, I know. So we had um, everyone from pathology all the way down to canine unit and um, four by four units and telecommunications mm. guys. That it um, was a fantastic day um, for, for me um, because they had asked me to run it from start to finish, um, and I had 130 people under me. Which is a first. It's the biggest amount of people <laughs> I've ever had to try and control. It was chaos at times. Um, but that was the point is to throw everything at me as, as much as possible and throw everything at the teams and really test everybody. Because when the real thing happens, we've got to be, we've got to know what we're doing and we've got to be ready for it. So, um, yeah, at one stage, I think I had six teams, um, running around the mountain like crazy, hanging off cliffs. Um, and we had a real helicopter fuselage, which was amazing. Mm. So now they, the, the people who organized it did a fantastic job. Mm. And, um, I think a lot of people had lots of fun doing what we did. Um, yeah, I was exhausted by the end of it, even though I didn't actually physically do anything, but my brain hurt. <laughs> and this is the right time to do it. Uh, less, uh, uh, less, uh, the, the normal recreational hikers, but less tourists. The, the, the mountains are less busy this time of the year. Well, so you would think. Um, mm-hmm. but as, when, when these kind of things happen, often what happens is that things, Present themselves when you least expect them to. So I, I, I can see I am more likely to take a, a leisurely walk during this time of the year because it's cooler. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, as I'm walking along Nursery Ravine and a thick blanket of mist falls in there, I lose my way, and that is when I need the help of guys like Tim Lundy and his team. Yeah, so even just taking a short walk, things can happen. So, and in the middle of me trying to get my guys to talk. To four different teams mm. on on four different areas around this helicopter and trying to find people that were missing and everything like that, um, we heard an actual rescue coming over the radio. So we actually had to change channels <laughs> because we were interfering with an actual wow. rescue. So we had to let them carry on doing what they were doing without us interfering. Mm. Um, there must be some massive coordination needed. And this is sometimes that what I've seen when I've uh, covered fires. You have like the jock, the Joint Operations yeah. Center. It consists of police, fire and rescue. And then you have also the volunteer units also there. Is it similar in mountain rescue? Very, very similar. Exactly and how the do same you coordinate? I, I know, I know rescue guys. There's also a bit of ego there. And I know that the state rescue guy has a bit more ego than the rest because he works for the state. Yes. So there, there is, unfortunately, in, in this kind of industry, there are, um, egos that do fly into it. And it's, uh, part of the job is trying to 
learn how to deal with those kind of egos. Um, for me, it was very, very difficult um, because I've always, for the last eight years that I've been doing it, I've been the one that's on, I've been the foot soldier who's mm. gone in there and got, and now I'm told, no, you must stay back and um, run this whole thing and, and not get involved. And um, I think after about th- three hours of doing it, eventually I had to tell myself to sit down, stop going over and getting interfering with others where that wasn't my job. Uh-huh. My job was to tell others to go and do that, to go and interfere with those <laughs> with those guys. So it was a huge learning curve for me and I think for for everybody else that was involved. Um, and it was just amazing to have so many people so passionate and so dedicated to doing what they do best um, and, and coming together, you know, having dog units and 4 by 4 units and mm. all working together for to get people off the mountain safely and to, to do a job that can be very, very taxing mm. at times. You've, you've told us some interesting stories before about someone falling down a, a cliff face here, Table Mountain. Yeah. Other stories of having to, um, to stretch someone down a path, but at the same time it's pitch black. Yes. Just how much training do you need to go through? I know that you've lived a life of hiking, literally wrote the book, mm. you and your dad wrote <laughs> yeah. the book on hiking. Just how much training if, if Brett, yeah, wants to become a, 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 a volunteer fire and rescue, mountain rescue guy, how much know-how? Is it all about training or is it also more about that, uh, that love for nature and that also almost instinctual know-how of, of your surroundings, especially if you hear from the Cape yeah. and the, maybe even the deep south? Look, I think, um, definitely the love of the outdoors and stuff definitely helps. The knowledge of, of the mountains and, and areas that we go into, Definitely helps, um, especially when it's pitch dark and you, you can't see your hand in front of your face, but you know exactly where you are. Um, definitely helps, but um, people do get involved. There's all sorts of different jobs um, within side rescue. It's not just about carrying stretchers, um, because there are a lot of people behind the scenes. Um, on Saturday, for instance, the the one lady um, I can't remember her name now, <laughs> which I should, but she was remarkable, and um, she had to write everything down that came over the radio. So timestamp, and then write down who said what. Mm. Um, and I, to try and tell you, I mean, the, the amount of times she sort of held her hand up to my face to tell me to keep quiet because she was trying to concentrate on something else where people were talking over the radio and it was important that she had to listen to what they were saying mm. because at one stage there was biohazard material mm. on the helicopter <laughs> <laughs> that I had to call everybody <laughs> off. And, and um, yeah, the spotlight was put on me to, to try and think on my feet very, very carefully as to what my next move was going to be. And uh, it's a huge responsibility because you've got all these people's lives in your hands as well as the people that you're trying to rescue. Mm. We are speaking to Tim Lundy. It is our weekly hiking feature, 20 minutes past nine. You've dealt with your training this week. Just a quick safety and rescue recap. Has things been happening? Have things been quite busy this week? So, yeah, the rescue basically around the weekend and um, while we were doing our exercise was was busy. Um, the, the Saturday and Sunday was very busy, in fact. And you know, unfortunately, a lot of the calls that did go out, we we battled to to get enough mm. people in because we, you know, people had been grafting for seven hours on a mountain and um, were exhausted. But we did we we manage mm. we we use what resources we've got and um, get the job done. So mm. yeah, the the rescue side of things was busy, but um, we we made it work mm. and made it happen. And then on the safety recap. Um, side of things uh, there's been talk of trying to 
work together with with um, the the law to try and sort this problem out of mm. safety on the mountains. So the good news is that people are listening and uh, uh, things are starting to happen um, in all sorts of different um, aspects. So it's great. Some questions coming in, but let us get into the, the, the topic that you want to talk about, that you brought to us today. We're talking about multi-day hikes and trails. I know it's become quite popular nowadays. You go away for a few days. Even the casual hiker is doing this now. Yeah. It's becoming more popular to go away for, for a few days, do quite a few uh, trails, sleeping out there. Just how popular has it become? It's become incredibly popular. I think the Western Cape, I'm not sure of the rest of the country, but I know that the Western Cape and Cape Nature have so many trails. They're, they're trails that I haven't even done. They're coming up with new trails all the time. You know, private landowners are now um, trying to open up their farms to to the public and um, have have trails that go over their land and sort of cooperate with Cape Nature so that people can go out there mm. actually enjoy the land, that it's not just for farmers. It's... Mm. Um, People out there that can actually go out and you have, have fun. You of course have your your more famous one. I think it's the Oyster Trail. Uh, you did the the Fish River. Fish River. I did. Uh, th- well, it's almost three weeks ago, and it seems like just the other day. Uh, my body's just recovering mm-hmm. from that. That was um, an awesome, mm-hmm. awesome trail. And um, I'm planning another couple that are coming up. Um, the end of next month. Uh, so a month away from now, we're going to be doing a Runkies Corp, which is in Robertson, and that's um, known as the sort of king of two-day trails. It's a, it's a monster. I, I have friends who've been on, on 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 the Oyster Catcher Trail. Yeah, you get the uh, Oyster Catcher. The, yeah. it's, it's four days, and they say it's, it's it's actually quite taxing. You think it's along the coast and those type of coastal areas, but they say it's actually really tight. Quite taxing because they say there's the difference, often the difference in terrain. One moment you're yeah. walking on sand and it's soft underfoot. Next you try, you're walking over rocks and you don't get into that decent pattern no. of just walking a solid flat trail. And, and not only that, when you're walking on sand versus walking on rocks, you're using different muscles. Mm. They're stretching at different lengths because you're, you've, one minute you've got this firm ground, but your foot is having to curl around the rock. And then other times you are walking in sand. Um, I did one last year, um, Clanmont, and we walked for about six kilometers on the beach, and it felt like about 60 kilometers <laughs> because every step you take, your foot just sinks into uh-huh. the ground. And that just takes so much out of you and so much out of your legs. So it, um, walking, coastal walks should never be underestimated. Oh. Uh, Otter Trail is one of them, Whale trails, another, um, the Crayfish trails, another one where you, you're walking on ground that is, Sometimes really nice and hill, sandy yes. hill, because basically a mountain. And back then, I I learned quite uh, quite uh, early. You don't run straight up a hill. You don't walk sort of straight. You sort yeah. of walk with uh, uh, feet sort of curved and walk almost like a crab. Exactly to, to get your way up a, a bit of a sandy incline. Is that some of the te- techniques you could use? You no, know, absolutely, because you don't want to walking up straight. You really are putting a lot of strain on your calf muscles. Um, so you would you would try and by shedding the load and and trying to mm. distribute the weight differently. You walk up sideways, or you walk you walk you zigzag up, and that's why mm. you see a lot of these big 
trails where they're going uphill, they'll zigzag it. Plata ah. Club being one of them. Can you imagine trying to go straight up Plata Club? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would be a very popular route if that was the case. No, no. What some of the the, the multi day trails would you suggest? Let's say I am a father, wife, and we invite my cousin and our three kids, probably about thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years old. What what some of the those that the multi day trails that are reasonably fit people can can go. With quite ease. So there are two different, what I like to categorize as two different trails. You, you get the, the more popular weekend trails, mm-hmm. which is just normally two days. And then you get the multi-day trails where it's sort of three, four, f- up to five, sometimes up to eight days. Um, so, which are, you've got the planning is very different for those kind of trails. So I would suggest something like a weekend trail. Um, there's one that I'm going to be planning pretty soon is the Postburg Flower Trail which is up the west coast and it, it's generally quite flat quite easy walking uh, nothing too too heavy and the nice thing is you can actually drop your stuff off so that your backpack is not too heavy mm. um, slack packing has become a very very popular um, thing as well for for people to do e- educate us what is what is slack packing slack packing is kind of what it says you you slacking you <laughs> <laughs> so you don't carry a pack or you carry a pack that's only got lunch in it it doesn't have your sleeping bag and your uh-huh. your Dinner for the night and, and Does all that your is essentially mean we we leaving all of our big items at a at a spot, or it gets driven to ah. the end pit and you you now chase it and, and walk. My my wife did Kilimanjaro, and all she carried was, I think it was the twenty kilograms on on her back, and a lot of stuff gets gets carried by the porters. Yes, but being the person she is. She felt quite guilty. These are they earn their living, they earn their yeah. money, you know, walking up, uh, and and they and they're professionals at at their job. But she felt so bad that that most of her her things were carried by a port and only like this twenty kilograms on her back. We want to get to some questions now before we continue with this conversation. It's coming in quite steadily. Mm. This um, this question asks, hi um, hi Tim, um, from your hikes that you've been on so far this year, um, does this winter look like it's a dry winter so far. I would say my 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 guess is that it's going to be a, a, a wet one. Mm. Um, based on in, in the past, I've always watched. Somebody once said to me, "Watch the ants." And when you start seeing ants being very very active, now if you think back the last couple of years that we've had this drought, the ants have not been active. Mm. You haven't had an ant problem at all. And recently, I'm sure you've all seen in your kitchens, the ants are coming out. And there's a very good reason for that. how they know that weather is going to change and it's going to, I don't know, but they, they need to know it because can mm-hmm. you imagine being the size of an ant and a raindrop coming down on your head? It's like throwing a swimming pool at you. But so. <laughs> I, I always tell Cape Tonians, don't try and judge in May, June, July. We, we forget that our rainy season is late August, September, October. Yes. And that is where we see the majority of our rain. I'm a, I'm a September June, baby. My my yeah. birth it always and this was a problem when I was a kid. It always rained on my birthday. <laughs> I could never have a party. <laughs> so yeah, our winter months are June, July, August, but our wettest month is August. And if you look at it, Matrisburg, I think about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, had its first snow. Mm. So that's always for me is an indication when we start seeing temperatures. When I was on the way here now, I saw the temperature drop down to 13 degrees at one point. And that's at o'clock in the evening. I mean, it's, yeah. it's really early, which means it's going to drop even lower. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I my feeling is that the, the weather this year is going to actually be, if it's not really wet, it's going to be really cold. Mm. I, th- I may be wrong. I'm, you know, weather guys have been wrong all the time. But from my experience of what I've what I've started to see and 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 rivers starting to flow, and we've had a sort of steady bit of of rain. I, th- I think we're going to have a hopefully a wet winter. Let's and hope. how dangerous or how cautious should the casual hiker be, especially if I, I know you could probably read a river. Of yes. how, how quickly, I've seen it happening. I, I've been on a farm where in the course of 15 minutes, a river would go from a trickle to almost bursting it, yes. its banks. And that is quite dangerous if you're deciding to walk yeah. and you're not checking the weather on whether there's going to be a little bit of rain falling. So when I did my guiding course, one of the things that they teach you is river crossings. And um, I remember sort of turning my nose up at it and thinking river crossings really and you see a river you cross it mm. I couldn't have been any more off mm. off the truth because yeah the, the, when a river comes down in flood it comes down fast yeah. and don't ever underestimate the power of water it is incredibly powerful I had one instance we were doing the Bosman's Clough Trail um, between oh. um, McGregor and Grayton and I, we got to a river. It had rained quite heavily the night before. And I said to everyone, look, when we get to the river, just everyone wait. Take your shoes off. Come up with a plan. Let's cross this river because mm. it's coming down. And the one guy just decided not to listen to me. And he decided to go straight across. He just went straight across. Well, he got about three steps in and the river decided, you're going downstream, buddy. Wow. And um, with his backpack on everything, he went into the water. We grabbed him as quickly as we could. Um, pulled him up and uh, yeah teamwork in a situation like that you try mm. and get somebody out we got across the river but you've just got to be very very careful um, with water it, it can be very dangerous we are speaking to Tim Lunday it's Thursday if you have any questions regarding any hiking trails any questions on equipment it's our weekly hiking feature here with Tim Lunday on the show you can call us 021-446-0567 or drop us a WhatsApp 072-567-1567 we're essentially talking about weekend and multi-day uh, uh, trails um, uh, Tim uh, for the weekend warrior like uh, us here in the studio of course excluding you um, if <laughs> I want to go book something now. What would be the chances? Where would I go that will be easily accessible that I wouldn't have to apply for a permit and book in advance? Just how Look, easy would it be? Most of your trails will definitely have to have a permit. Um, because, and, and it is, I know people go, yeah, but it's a free country and we should be allowed to travel where we want to and hike where we want to. The reason that these guys charge what they charge is f- to maintain those paths, to keep the huts in order. Those things cost money. So, unfortunately, a fee has to be charged in order to keep those paths maintained. Mm. You know, when we have heavy rains and those paths turn into rivers and they start becoming eroded, they need to be repaired. Mm. And that costs money and time um, for for the authorities to go in. So, Cape Nature are fantastic. I love Cape Nature. I think they, they really are brilliant mm. at the job they're doing. They seem to be getting better and better every year. At um, I actually phoned them today. And I think within 20, not even 20 minutes, I believe five minutes, the email that they were going to send me mm. got sent. I got sent the, the invoice for the Swelling Dam Trail, um, which I booked for five days in August. Oh, that's great. Uh, we have a question coming in from Claire in Seapoint. How are you doing, Claire? Hi. Hi good, Claire. thanks. How are you guys doing? Good, thanks. Tim good. is listening. Good. 
Um, I just wanted to know if there are any... I've been looking for a while now, I can't seem to find, but are there any dog-friendly um, overnight or, like, multi-day trails? Very good question. I can't think of any off, off the top of my head. No. Um, <laughs> there's lots of day walks, I but I can't, <laughs> I can't think of any... Um, yeah, it's a pity that there aren't because dogs absolutely love to, to do that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I can't think of any, unfortunately. <laughs> sure, Claire, we have your number, so if we do think of anything uh, during the course of now and before we leave, we'll yeah. drop you a message and see if we can find a, a dog-friendly trail there for you. But... Um, the issues of dogs on mountains is a very tricky one. There's obviously Wild animals. Yeah. the public safety issue. There's yeah. the poo issue. How do you feel about it? When I say public safety, I know that I'm not saying that all dogs are are are, um, are dangerous. But if I feel scared, that's how I feel. It doesn't yeah. matter how, how friendly your dog is. It's you know. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it's one of those things where you've. I love to take dogs on the mountains, but it depends on the dog. It depends on the owner. Um, it depends on the route that you're going on. Um, one of the routes is like Constantia Neck. There's mm. lots of dogs there. And unfortunately, a lot of people just don't pick up off the mm-hmm. dogs. So it makes it very unpleasant when you're trying to walk and you're not, you sit in the middle of a conversation and the next thing Squish. you step. Yeah. So it, it's just a few that are spoiling it for the rest mm. of us. It's, it's horrible. I mean, like a beach is the same story. Where you want to take a dog on a beach, mm. but you know there's a few people that just mess it up for everybody else, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's just unfortunate. Mm. When we're talking about uh, multi-day hikes, and you say unfortunately you have to apply, there is a permit process because they need to, you know, yeah. maintain. How then accessible? How then affordable are some of these multi-day hikes? No, look, I think they. When you consider what you're getting for what you're paying, I think you they're very affordable. And um, I, I don't think you can really put a price on the kind of experience that you have when you're out there. You know, you very quickly forget about that when you look up at the sky and you've got the whole Milky Way. You've got huts that will keep you dry. And, yeah, I, to me, I, I think that the, the fees that they charge are very reasonable. Um, they do vary from trail to trail because some of the trails are very hard for them to get into to access certain areas. Mm. So they they have to charge for that kind of thing. But I think on on the whole, they are very, very affordable. I hope Claire is still listening. Uh, um, a WhatsApp coming through here. It says, please tell Claire to go to the Lekker Slap website, L-E-K-K. Slap. I've tried that. I've, uh, when I've gone to uh, Boslov Squemchat, yeah. I've, I've used Lekker Slap. It's a very decent website. Yes. Uh, Lynn says, uh, Claire, go to that website, Lekker Slap, and you'll be able to find uh, some pet-friendly uh, multi-day hikes there. Uh, Shaniz is giving you... <laughs> he may have listened to the show last week and not mentioning it. He says, yeah. uh, Shaniz Benting here saying, the Elfin Trail near Constantia Village. We talked about this just last week. And we he did. says, yeah. you can take uh, some dogs and prams or we particularly want to focus on uh, multi-day hikes where you can go for a couple of days and take your gear with and you can go through a few things uh, through points there and that's what we are um, uh, talking um, now. Uh, but a lot of these places have become quite posh. The accommodations are co- yes. quite 
quite swanky. It's yeah. not a little hut where you put your, your sleeping bag under and you make a fire in it. There's some, there's some good accommodations at some of these, uh, you know, these spots. There is. And I think that's also the nice thing is that there's a wide variety of places like the Fish River. You sleep out in the open. You have jackals running around you or you can, be in a place uh, we did Montague I stayed in a and b and uh, the one chap who was going to originally come with us he said um, somebody had asked the question of uh, where exactly we're staying and then this other chap got wind of the fact that I said that we were staying in a and b which was right at the trailhead and he said what do you mean we're staying in a and b like f- forget that I thought we were sleeping out in the open in the bushes <laughs> I'm like, well, you're more than welcome to if you want to, but sometimes it's okay to sleep in B&Bs and sometimes it's great to to sleep under the stars and and really, yeah, um, push it. So I think different strokes for different folks. Some people have a problem with with sleeping out in the open um, and others will only do slackpacking. Before we let you go, we're going to play one more uh, voice note here to see what you are talking about. Hi, Lester. Very nice program. I used to hike in the Hontosholland Mountains in the 80s a lot. Once got stuck into a firestorm. There was a runaway mountain fire. It came up on the Algon side, me and a friend. So when that thing came up the mountain, it sounded like a Boeing 747 at full throttle coming up the mountain. That roar you don't forget. And then one year, around about 1987, well, it started snowing. We got stuck in the snow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, if you're going to walk on the mountain, be prepared because I've seen a lot of people go unprepared in the mountain and then when things happen, who's to blame? Only themselves. Patrick and, Strand. And this is what you talk about, uh, Tim. Go prepared. You've had several discussions with, with us saying that never underestimate the weather and that yeah. weather can change on a dime. But we have to wrap up now. Tim, we're running out of time. If people want to uh, organize a hike with you, maybe get a, a, a personal one-on-one hiking experience with you, how can they get hold of you? So they can get hold of me on email, which is tim at nice and easy. Or they can join my ever-growing Facebook page, which is I'm loving the fact that it keeps growing and people <laughs> keep joining it. Um, it's a place for me to put all the latest news and, and things that are happening, which is Cape Town Hiking with Tim Lundy on Facebook. Or they can, if they're one of those tweeters, they can go at, uh, at Hiking Cape Town. Um, or Instagram where they like to see all the lovely photographs of the walks that we do and they don't particularly want to do the walks, they just want to see the lovely photographs, they can go to Cape Town Hiking. If you are a botanist and loves flowers, some of the pictures on uh, on Tim's Instagram of some rare and really spectacular local fauna, and flora rather, really, really spectacular. But Tim, thanks very much for joining us. You'll be back yeah. with us next week. It is now 20 minutes to 10 o'clock. And it's, we'll be back after this. On Cape Talk. Weekday mornings, 4 to 6 a.m. I have, good morning. I've always respected you, but I think that you are an EFF supporter. Big time. Somebody said that to you before, and now I think I can confirm that you are definitely an EFF supporter. Hey, hey, hey.